2: Good morning, and welcome into the twenty four seven Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm national recruiting analyst Tech and alongside twenty four seven Sports Director of Scouting Andrew Ivans, and we have a nice mailbag episode for you today. What's it been, Drew? I feel like it's been over a week since we had a uh, a mailbag episode. Since we maybe had two questions, maybe two weeks. It's been a while, so we got some good questions that we're going to get around to. Also, Drew, you have brought this to my attention. We're going to do a recent commit recap. But how about this, 218 of the top 247 prospects in the country are committed. That is 88%. Pretty wild. I think you and I have kind of talked about time stamping this. We've talked about this on previous podcasts as well, but like I wonder what the highest number is to date. It's got to be this. 88%. Yeah, I don't think it was too far off last year though. Really? A couple, a couple percentage points, you know. Uh, Coop,
3: this like is post early signing period. <laughs> like, there's only ten percent of the class left. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just looking through a different lens, but I feel like the. I mean, how many like big names are left in play? I mean, what there's like five five stars. You got L.J. McRae. I mean, it just seems like everyone has made a decision. And yes there's going to be movement there's going to be shuffling um but what are we going to talk about come come december
2: yeah what is it i mean i'm going through it right now at top 32 i think it's only seven or eight guys right yeah D- dominic mckinley
3: makes a Dumb. makes a decision on friday
2: right Micah hudson terry bussey another name as well he's, ryan he's wingo got, he's Aiden he's Brewer. coming
3: off i think uh bussey's what Early September.
2: Yeah. And, we, and to your point, I mean, we got a good feel pretty much on the majority of these guys, which way they're leaning. So 88%. I mean, before we get into it, I mean, like, what do you, why is that important to you? Or why is it maybe it just is what it is? I, do you take anything away from that?
3: I had a, I ran that number by a uh buddy in a personnel department and they fired back. Yeah. December's dead. Uh, Coop, we've, hatched it out like senior evaluations aren't what they used to be um what i'm wondering is this does this accelerate the coaching carousel even more last year what we had the first real firing in october i think i think that's going to be kind of kind of the norm and the program that has turned into the darling of the podcast recently texas tech remember joey mcguire was hired like in november um a couple years ago and he was able to recruit put a put a class in in place and and hit the ground running so i think it's only just going to be more of that
2: we're going to talk about texas oklahoma a little bit later in the show and i'm probably going to reference what we just talked about and what you were talking about with timing and when coaches got hired i don't know if that is applicable to Steve Sarkeesian and Brent Venables, but I do believe it's applicable when you look at each program's timeline. Drew, before we get into the recent commit recap, I I got a little jumpy there. Zachariah Branch, how about that guy, huh? You talk about a debut in college football, number one receiver in the country per 24-7 sports in 2023, number seven overall prospect, 232 all-purpose yards, two tuds, on just nine touches, had the 96 yard kickoff return, which was pretty special. True, sure, we could go a lot of a lot of different places with this one. But just your overall thoughts on what you saw from Zachariah Branch. Like, is it surprising to you? Like, was there any point where you're watching that game and, and been like, wow, he's doing this already?
3: No. <laughs> um, I mean, we ranked him number seven. He was our number one wide receiver. And I think the big reason why is there was a transformation, it felt like, between his junior and senior seasons. He got more confident, and Blair Angulo, who covers kind of that mountain region for us, kept bringing that up, and we saw him at the Under Armour All-America game. We saw him at the Polynesian Bowl, and he was just electric. I mean, I think coming out of that UA game, I said, I know everyone's going to roll their eyes about the Tyreek Hill comparisons, but, like, this guy looks and and plays like him. And sure enough, week zero, I'll admit, I I, I was not watching that game. Where I was, I was locked into FIU Louisiana Tech. They did not have – There's
2: no shame in that.
3: Yeah. There was, like, soccer on at the bar as well, but (laughs) – I saw it on the the X app, and I was like, wow. Um, I mean, just I think only more to come. Like, he's going to – you want to talk about, like, NIL opportunity? I mean, everyone in the country knows Zachariah Branch, and he's only played one game at USC.
2: I I found it interesting to, like, hear the comparisons. Like, the the (laughs) The feel of what he was doing when you were watching it, it felt like Reggie Bush. Not so much of how he's doing it, but like the electricity of the moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I just felt- like You can't wait for this guy to touch the ball. And it was cool to see a team that's on the Ascend in USC in a program that's going to the Big Ten. They had this excitement about him, And you could feel like you could feel it. It was like nervous, exciting energy. And he just completely changed the game. And he's a game changer. I mean, like, that's what he is. So there was Reggie Bush. I've heard Reggie Bush this week. I've heard Jalen Waddell. And I've heard Tyreek Hill. I think the other thing, Drew, that we should talk about is, like, Zachariah Branch really gave us no choice other than to make him the number one receiver in the country because there's so many, so many times in the evaluation process where you're sitting there and you're like, all right, we got this spark plug 510, right? Like, and he's in a class with Jerry on Dickey and Carnell Tate and Hakeem Williams and all these other prototypical guys. And it's not like we're, we're not the only ones, right? There was a consensus at the top with Zachariah Branch, but that's sh- to me, that goes to show how special of a player that he is because he is somewhat of an outlier with his size. And honestly, I can't remember him dominating a game in high school the way he did on Saturday. He was well, really he, good, but he controlled this game every time he touched the ball.
3: Yeah. He he dominated that Under Armour game. And I know it's it's like a Pro Bowl type feel. And it's like, why are they even punting? Because there is no real punt coverage, but he had an 80 yard return in that in that game. And he put up big numbers at at Bishop Gorman. Um I, I do think when talking outlier with Zachariah Branch, I, what makes him different than the other quote unquote pint size playmakers? I mean, he is like rocked up. And when I talked about that transformation, like, I think when you saw him as an underclassman to when you saw him as a senior, it's like, okay, this guy's added body armor. And you talk with the strength coaches there at Bishop Gorman. And man, I, I, Cooper, I don't know if you've ever been out there, like, their weight room rivals a lot of uh group of five programs around the country i mean that thing is squat rack after squat rack p- power racks all the stuff and he's like power cleaning 315 pounds after track practice which is <laughs> a bit crazy for a guy that you know was listed at 172 um so that's what what i think makes him a little bit different i, I agree i mean but is he becoming kind of like must watch tv and in some sense it it reminds me of like I mean, I think Brad Crawford at twenty four seven Sports throughout throughout this one, like when Devin Hester first kind of burst onto the scene, like every special teams play, you want to see what he's going to be able to do.
2: I think it is. I I got excited. I mean, I was I was watching that game. I had to download the Pac twelve app uh, to be able to watch it. But it was. I mean, it, like like I said, it it completely changed the dynamic from a viewership standpoint. Once you kind of see what he's about and what he's capable of doing. The other thing, Andrew, you brought up that I think is interesting. How soon can Zachariah Branch capitalize on NIL opportunities in arguably the most marketable city in the country? And for me, it's not like this is a really good case study. Like if I'm Julian Lewis, who is already in the boat. But think about this for a freshman week zero. Breakout, 230-plus yards, all-purpose, two touchdowns. He's got a real opportunity now. Like I'm pretty interested to just keep an eye on him and see what opportunities come off the field as well. And if you're USC, I mean, Drew, I don't know about you, but it was like Deuce Robinson was out there. Makai Lemon was out there. Jacoby Lane was out there. Tackett Curtis was out there. I mean, they played a lot of freshmen. I don't know. Just kind of fascinating. To me, it kind of goes beyond the the football field too. Gotta to figure out that defense. <laughs> no doubt. Um, speaking of week zero, any other takeaways for you? I don't know how much ball you got to watch.
3: Well, I was at I was out at the high school games. Um, you know, Shaman Madonna, St. Francis, and then Bishop Gorman, or not Bishop Gorman, St. John Bosco, Saint Thomas Aquinas. I was I was melting in the sun, so I I was playing more catch up, a lot of reading, trying to watch highlights. I, I don't have I don't have much, but I wanted to toss that question your way. If anything kind of jumped out to you, I, I watched some of the Vandy Hawaii game. That was uh, entertaining.
2: I watched Notre Dame Navy from start to finish, and it was a complete game. And you don't want to overreact because Navy shouldn't be the barometer. First year head coach, even though he's been with the program for a while. It just seemed to me like everything was what you wanted to see last year with Marcus Freeman. You got it in this game. And I can't remember the last time like Notre Dame had that guy at the quarterback position, 24 years old. I mean, he's what, two years older than Anthony Richardson? (laughs) So you have a quarterback on the field. This guy has so much experience. And to me, I mean, Sam Hartman for that program is going to be a complete difference maker. I I think of Notre Dame, even after that one game, I saw what I wanted to see. I have a completely different perception of Notre Dame. I think Navy is difficult. I still have some question marks about the defense and, you know, overall. But, like, complete performance. It seems like Marcus Freeman settled in. I really like the way Jared Parker called that game. And they got Gino Gadulli, who they hired from Cincinnati, who's a really, really good coach. He's a quarterback coach. He's definitely involved in that offense. They just seem like they have so much more of a comfort and an idea of who they are. And we're talking about it around the office. Josh Pate was asking, you know, who do you like in the playoffs? I, Notre Dame's got a very difficult schedule. They got USC, Ohio State, Clemson. I don't know what order of those games. I think Sam Hartman's a difference. I think they can win two out of the three. And if you're looking at a 11-win Notre Dame team with one loss against one of those teams, I think they're going to be hard to keep out. Now, it's week one. I don't want to overreact. Good to see Jaden Greathouse out there doing his thing. What do you have, two touchdowns on three catches? Right. The other thing about him, Drew, I love that running back room. You got Estime. You got Jadarian Price. You got Jeremiah Love. I mean, they're five deep there. You got Devin Ford, the transfer over from Penn State.
3: Can I I say something funny here? Of course. (laughs) Estimate. Someone might have been on a rushing prop over opening drive, I think. At some point, he had like 48 yards early on. A lot of people I know in my circle are also on this same rushing prop. And they start playing all these running backs. Somehow he comes back in with less than two minutes and clears it by one yard for the over.
2: I was really surprised when they put him back in the game. Well, I'm it not watching.
3: I- I'm getting text messages. They're like, you will not believe this guy's back in the game.
2: I couldn't believe it. I mean, they had that game in control, and they were just cycling through these running backs. The other thing I'll say is I wonder like who's going to emerge as – the tight end like in that room who's who's going to be the go-to guy i mean they had the luxury of michael Mayer the last couple years notre dame has always been a very known for the talent that they have in that room so i like notre dame i actually feel better about notre dame than i do usc i don't think usc even after week zero i had a close friend of mine works in the industry called me said what do you think about usc i don't think they have the ponies to win it defensively Hmm. So we'll see. It's week zero. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think they have the. You know, the back end. That's a talented group. You got Sierra Wright. You got Domani Jackson. You got Kalen Bullock. You're starting Tackett Curtis as a freshman. I thought Eric Gentry completely changed the dynamic of that team. I think their transfers are going to continue to emerge. They got They just got to get better week in and week out. They still feel like another year away. That's my hot take.
3: You ready to talk about these commits real quick before we get into the mailbag?
2: I am. Last thing I want to say on week zero, though, this is your guy. So I want to bring it up. Was very impressed with AJ Swan at Vandy.
3: AJ Swan's coming up in the mailbag.
2: Okay. All right. Let's talk about some of these commits, Drew. I want to start with Miami. Miami now up to the number 15 class in the country. They land the number four safety in Zaquan Patterson. I like this kid, but the T box is yours, Drew. I, I think this dude is a a great fit, one that Miami needed, ball player.
3: I feel like I've said this in the past with some of these Miami pickups, but, man, they needed to get this one done. And credit Mario Cristobal in that operation. I think when the week started, Zaquan Patterson was leaning towards Florida State. He ends up picking Miami on ESPN, or was it ESPN2? I don't know. I was at the game, but that all go down. I, I think he is a physical defender that excels at the second level, flowing downhill, and he just makes plays. I mean, in his scouting report, there's a line in there where I say he's got some of the best special teams highlights we've seen in the 2024 cycle, and I think you can apply that to recent years. Well, in the game against St. Francis, he opens it up by absolutely – you know, spearing a punt returner, dropping him inside the five. Notable. And then about 15 minutes later, he blocks a a field goal attempt or an extra point attempt. I mean, I think Zaquan Patterson is just a – he's just a South Florida kind of defender, man. Like, he runs through people. He – Loves it. I mean, he is running his mouth the entire time. And when you look at Miami, they're going to lose potentially two guys early to the NFL draft and, and Cam Kitchens and James Williams. I think Zaquan Patterson is someone that's going to be able to push for that, you know, box safety role. And I think he's a special teams like ace. I don't even know what term it is, but like he's going to play right away for Miami in 2024 if he sticks.
2: Miami's got some edge, Drew. Like, you can poke holes and maybe some of the things that they're doing, but like, go back to last year Robbie Washington, Nathaniel Joseph, throw in Zaquan Patterson, Josiah Trader, Artavius Jones. What do all these guys have in common? They all play multiple phases and they're tough as hell. And that's what I've said, like, from the beginning. It's like, you want Miami to be able to recreate that identity that they were known for in the early 2000s? That's how you do it, man. You just go out, make sure you keep the dogs home. They got some dogs. I will say that. Saquon Patterson's a dog. Josiah Trader's a dog. Artavius Jones, big dog.
3: Big, big dog.
2: Big, big dog. Like that gift for them. All right, the other one that Miami was in there for, I don't think this one's over. That's what we hear. It sounds like it was came down to the, the last couple minutes here, David Stone, number three defensive lineman in the country. You got to see him week one against Lipscomb Academy right here in Nashville. He commits to Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Drew, just feels like they had to have this one, right? After Williams-Wenary, this is the one that, like you talked to Colin Kennedy, this is the guy they had to have, right? They are all in on this, dude, and came down Oklahoma, Miami, end of the day. Sooner's now up to number 11 in the rankings. Done some good things, man. Add in David Stone, Jaden Jackson, another guy that you like a lot. Oklahoma, we're going to talk about them later in the show. But, Drew, I guess just your thoughts on, on David Stone, what he brings to the Sooners.
3: I mean, I, first time I ever talked to David Stone when he arrived at Oklahoma, I was like, I came out of there saying this kid is going to Oklahoma. It, it just felt that way. Now, I had to get the job done. And as you noted, finish the job, finish the race. Um, but they picked up his commitment. And I think for Brent Venables, like what they want to do, this guy's a, a disruptor in the middle. Um people at IMG Academy rave about him. I always go back to one of the one of the first times I saw him there, you know, it full go. It was last year against Venice, which went on to play for a state title in Florida. I mean, he had his way up front. Um, he's got some Twitch for a guy his size, he can change directions, Uh, and then when you look at what the Sooners' D line could could be in a a year or two, I mean, they got some some blue chip blue chip talent there. You, you mentioned Jaden Jackson, his teammate at IMG Aca- Academy, PJ Adubuare, the previous cycle. I don't know, Coop. I mean, I think Stone could play you know multiple fronts multiple alignments kind of whatever you need right away based
2: on on your roster
3: and your scheme
2: I agree I'm glad you brought up the Venice game because that was kind of I don't want to say my first exposure but that was like the one tape I walked away from and that was dude they were so loaded that front seven was loaded last year you might have to help me with some of the names but you know and Pemba Gabe Harris like who else did they have on that defensive line? I mean, it was, uh, it was Cam
3: Cam Lindhart, who's going to play as a freshman at Nebraska,
2: and a handful of others. And I was like, David Stone controlled that game, and it. I mean, and there was a lot to watch. Right there is Malagoa versus uh, DeMond Wilson on the other side. He was the one guy that maybe you, you go into that game, you're focused on a couple guys in the 23 cycle, and your biggest takeaway is that the best player on the field is on 24.
3: Yeah. That's
2: that was a good it way for me.
3: Yeah. I think I yeah. came out of there with that same takeaway as well.
2: And you know what? He's, he's a dude like who, I um, forgot the player we talked about. I think KJ Bolden, we talked about like a little bit of the fatigue. We've known about David Stone for a while. He's a hell of a player. Super high floor, going to play early. And every time you're just like, ah, oh, hey, let's reevaluate. Let's kind of see where we are in this kid. Are we too high? It's like, well, all right, well, good luck getting him out of that spot. He's a good player. It's a heck of a gift for Oklahoma. Drew, we're going to come back on Oklahoma, so I'm going to go to Trevor Jackson here, number 23 quarterback in the country. I would say maybe the most intriguing player slash recruitment of the quarterbacks in the country. And I'll explain here in a second. He commits to Ole Miss, revs up now to number 20, which here's the thing, right? We have the recruiting rankings and all this. and Ole Miss got one of my favorite classes. Like pound for pound, what they're doing in the state of Mississippi is exciting to me. You throw this kid in there, Drew. He's one of the youngest signal callers in the country. We saw him at the Elite 11, and he was exactly what we thought. When it was good, it was good, and when it wasn't, it wasn't. Right, It was a total mixed bag. Live arm, NFL arm, can make any throw on the field. We have yet to see it consistently on the field, but if you're Ole Miss, I mean, think about this room, and I'll start this year. Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, Walker Howard, Austin Simmons, now you throw in this kid. The assortment of talent there, to me, is unbelievable. And Kiffin's mantra on this seems to be simply, let the best man win. And I think that's actually stirred up his quarterback room a little bit. I I don't know. I think I was reading the tea leaves on a Jackson Dart press conference yesterday. He said he's pretty frustrated they still haven't named a starter. And it sounds like it's going to be him, but point being, I mean, you throw Trevor Jackson in that room, there's no need for him to play immediately. So for him to be able to go and work with a guy like Lane Kiffin, I like the idea of that. And I don't know if Trevor Jackson will end his career in Oxford, but I like the fact he's starting it there.
3: I think it's notable that he's willing to go to Ole Miss when – Austin Simmons is already there, and there are our glowing reviews about Simmons coming out of Oxford, and we're talking about the Florida former Florida quarterback commit who jumped two classifications. What's crazy is I think he's actually older than Trevor Jackson. I'm a Trevor, that, Trevor Jackson fan, have always been a fan. I think he draws you in with what he does in the camp setting. Need to see it. On the field, I think he's a stash on the roster and coach him up, but that I think is the question mark for us. And he transferred schools here for his senior season. He went from West Orange High School, and now he's at Orlando Jones, splitting time with a twenty twenty six. It's just, it's been an unusual kind of recruitment to follow but at the end of the day he's the guy that just needs to play football in my opinion
2: yeah he needs reps for sure that's like the biggest takeaway with him did he finish did he finish in the top 11 the elite 11 we had
3: him in there i don't know if he officially did but he was the rail shot challenge winner started strong and then he faded um later in the week when they got into that seven on seven play
2: drew you love to talk about lottery tickets that's what Trevor Jackson is to me and I like and if I am not miss I'd, I love that. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24/7 sports football recruiting podcast.
0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Guys, just a reminder, you're listening
2: to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast with Cooper Patagon and Andrew Ivins. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts, including Spotify and Apple. Also, make sure to leave a rating in a review if you have any questions. That is the place to do it for our mailbag episode next week. Now we're going to bring in producer Lance Glenn because it is that time. Mailbag questions. And producer lance great to see you my friend i think we have three or four i don't know but uh why don't you start us off
4: yeah we got three uh three mailbag questions today obviously we talked about the commitment so we made a little bit of a shorter mailbag than the five questions we've done before but three good questions uh thank you so much to everyone who sent them in just a reminder again uh, give us those five star rating uh, get a give us a review send in those mailbag questions i'll prioritize the mailbag questions that I get via those Apple ratings. Obviously, I put the tweet out as well. The day before, I put that out yesterday, which was Tuesday at 12 Eastern. But again, I'll prioritize the questions that we get via the mailbag. So this first question came from Marsh J.D. Now, I changed it up a little bit because he actually asked it prior to Williams Waneri committing and then obviously prior to David Stone committing. So I changed it up a little bit, but I still think the premise is the same. He asks, after missing out on Winery but landing Stone, how does Oklahoma compare to Texas when it comes to being set up for success heading into their move to the SEC? I'll let either of you guys take it away. You know, my thought
2: this morning is that they're on a very similar trajectory. I, I just, from what we were talking about earlier, it almost feels like Oklahoma is just a year behind. And it's because Steve Sarkeesian's going into year three and Brent Venable's are going into year two, right? But, I mean, if you look at how Texas started out year one, it was five and seven with a really good recruiting class. You look at Oklahoma, really strong recruiting class, five and seven, some disappointing results in year one. So I'm expecting almost like a seven and five, eight and four season from Oklahoma. And it was kind of the way that I felt about Texas. Until you kind of show it on the field, there's going to be some skepticism. Now, by year three, Drew, I mean, think about the names that we've been talking about with Oklahoma that we've associated with them right over the last couple of years. You got Jackson Arnold, who we think is a bona fide guy that I think will play this year. P.J. Adebori on the defensive end. Samuel Mosigo, Lewis Carter, that secondary that we really like a lot, Peyton Bowen, Jacoby Johnson, McCarty Vickers. They have some foundational pieces. And then the job that they've done in the, in the transfer portal as well. So Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, to me, you can throw in a very similar bucket. It's just, they've been doing everything that they've needed to do. They've, you know, with, they've been watering their plant. They've been giving it sunlight. It's just going to take a little bit of time. And I think year three is going to be imperative for Brent Venables in Oklahoma, but I think they need to show some growth. He needs to show some growth this year. And I want to feel the way about Brent Venables. I feel about Marcus Freeman after one silly week against Navy. You know, it's like, all right, he's, he's got this, he's got this figured out. Um, I think they're on a very similar trajectory. I think you're splitting hairs, but I think, I do think Texas is, is out ahead of them right now.
3: I think you put that well in bringing up the one year start sarcas on on venables um I was thinking about this kind of a different way and you know, they both have quarterbacks that we obviously like guys that finish in our top thirty two uh I would give Texas the slight edge now and you know, we have to see how these guys pan out, but I think I like a little bit more what they've done up front on the offensive line. Now, I think it's a lot of guys in the same mold. I mean, they are taking big individuals that are massive. Whereas I don't think Oklahoma has done as good of a job closing with guys that they're going to need, right? Line of scrimmage game in the SEC. So that's kind of why I think I would give Texas the slight edge. But I do like what Oklahoma is doing on the defensive side of the ball. I think you bring up a great point there with that second level of the defense. The linebackers, Lewis Carter, uh OCMO. And then you got David Stone, PJ Adebore. I, I no Kuba, I, I think you answered that good. I think Oklahoma needs to to show it on the field though this year to to keep it going and and the same would apply to Texas. But but Brent needs some on-field results.
2: Can I ask a follow-up to this real quick like cuz I think this ties into our next question. Like what do you make out of Williams winning committing to Missouri and then the next week he's got Oklahoma gloves? It's yeah. kind of wild, isn't it?
3: I don't read into that stuff. I mean, do you?
2: I get what you're saying. Like typically, typically I don't, I I don't.
3: Well, I guess when there's contracts involved, maybe I would, maybe we should view it through a, a different lens. Um, Yeah. I, I I mean, I'm just so used to kids wearing whatever gloves match their uniforms or, you know, there's, you hear stories of, of kids going in and into visits on visits and they, leave the equipment room open. And then, you know, everyone at the school is wearing team issued gear the next week. So like Josiah trader was wearing an LSU sweater on Saturday. I didn't read any, any, anything into that.
2: I just get the feel. It's like, I'm
4: doing what I I'm I'm doing, what I have to do. Not what I want to do.
3: Okay. That's fair.
4: Can I, uh, let me counter that since of the three of us, I was the one most recently in high school. Now that's not me saying that I was in high school recently. I graduated high school in 2014, but I will say, and again, I was not a national recruit. I wasn't recruiting anything. But I will say that I had, you know, I guess, put in my deposit to go to Rutgers. And even after I did that, you know, I was wearing a Delaware shirt, for example, because that was one of the schools that I got into. I was wearing uh, a Yukon shirt because that was one of the schools that I got into. So it's like, if you have the attire, or in this case of Winnery, if you have the gloves and you know you're going to wear gloves for the game... You might as well wear them because otherwise, what are they gonna do? Just sit sit in your closet or or sit in your your football bag. That's just coming from someone who, again, wasn't recently in high school, but was the most recent high school graduate of the three of us. Uh, not saying you guys are old because you're not, but you know, you're older than I am. So that gets us to our next question from ex pundit. Pundit, excuse me. He asks. Do you think NIL so far has done a good job of leveling the playing field in recruiting, making it so that sometimes the rich don't just get richer? I
2: think I'm think going to use a, a terrible analogy here. I'm sorry, Drew, to jump in front of you. Um, I've been watching Suits. And if you don't know anything about Suits, it's about Pearson Specter Law Firm, right? And it's the two managing partners at the top, right? So let me make this very easy. You have Harvey Specter. Yeah, Jessica Pearson. Well, the episode that I'm on is talking about Harvey Specter's salary and how much money he brings in and his billables and how that should be shareable among the senior partners. Uh, to me, I just thought of this, but it's like that's what college football used to be. It used to be Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. It used to be a, a three to three to four programs that you could look at every year that we're going to compile all of this talent and keep everybody else out. Now, everybody else would get a, a bone here or there, but now what we're seeing is still, let's say you want to bring in the senior partners, right? That's what we're going to call them. It's seven, eight, nine, 10 teams. Now they're getting involved in this as well. I don't think this is parody top to bottom, but I do think when you're talking about that college football playoff of 12 teams, That's where you're going to see the parity. I mean, if you look at the rankings right now, I mean, and here's the thing. People are going to say, well, it's August. Well, Georgia's got 26 commits. Ohio State's got 22. Florida's got 22. Alabama's got 19. Andrew just said 88% of the top 247 is committed. Not much is going to change. Yeah, we'll see a couple flips here and there. Point being. Georgia, number one. Ohio State, number two. No surprises there. Florida at number three. I think they have been a huge beneficiary. I think there is alignment there between Florida and their third party collective. Alabama at number four. I think Alabama, out of all the teams, has actually taken a hit when it comes to NIL. Florida State at number five. They're starting to get their act together. Tennessee at number six. I mean, you can go throughout the SEC and you can have a conversation about okay, who's, who's talented enough to win it? And that used to be, well, maybe it's Alabama, maybe it's LSU, maybe it's Georgia. Now you look at it, Alabama, Auburn in two years is going to be a factor, Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, you look at what they're doing in-state, South Carolina with Nicholas Harbor, Dylan Stewart, Tennessee, Texas A&M, yeah, welcome to the party. Everybody's here. This is not just for the elite of the elite anymore. And I guess that's my point. It's like, parity? Parity at the top, maybe. But it does help group of five schools like, you know, our guy uh, Platt at Tulane, right? Incentivizes him to stay home. Austin Reed at Western Kentucky, right? There there are some different ways – to where it is incorporated where it's not just helping that select few but i think overall it's exciting to me to go into a season and we're having a conversation in the office hypothetically about who's going to be in the playoffs and instead of picking out of a 5 or 4 team pot realistically it's 7 or 8 schools now that you got to you got to consider and i i think that number is only going to grow it might max out at 12 but I think it's a good thing. Got to throw up a tag flag. It is
3: Michael Pratt, not Platt. Um, and I'm glad you brought him up because Chris Homer, 24-7 sports, our man who does the 30 for 30 list, ran a story Tuesday. I almost got my days mixed up on NIL and how it is helping group of five quarterbacks stay at their schools. Um, you also brought up Austin Reed at Western Kentucky but you could put Grayson McCall in there Frank Harris I mean the list goes on I think he's got 10 of those guys there so I I think we are starting to see what NIL was designed to do in some ways now they still need to regulate it but it is opening up the parity, and you have those premium edge rushers like you said in, in previous years before NIL Elijah rushing is probably not going to Arizona Williams and Winery is probably not going to Missouri. Luther Burden is also probably not staying at Missouri. Um, so I do think it is leveling the playing field a little bit. Like you said, Cooper, potentially expanding the amount of contenders, but it's also making the college football regulars have to adjust and figure out how to you know, essentially budget a salary cap of sorts, right? You want to get this guy, well you're going to have to pay this amount of money and you there's only a certain amount of dollars out there. So I think it is changing the game a little bit in terms of you look at some of these schools commit lists, right? And you might see a prospect on there. Well, hey, doesn't seem like this college football regular would re- regularly be taking this guy, but sometimes there's there's a budget. You can't always get the first round pick got to go down the board maybe get a day three guy because that's what fits right now given your needs and what you have available so I think it is leveling it out Mark Pantoni when he was on this podcast a few months ago the Ohio state general manager thought he brought up some interesting things about Ohio State having to recruit a little more a little more regionally and we're seeing that with their commit lists. Um, so I do think it is leveling and evening it out. And I think if you're a fan at the the group of five level, kind of embrace this. Um, you know, with the NIL, it allows you to play a little roster defense. And obviously, you know, I went to Florida Atlantic tight end there. I mean, they're top five, six players. You know, they got the NIL money to, to make them stay around. And then you look at the basketball team that made the Final Four, they got the NIL as well, uh, as well to keep those guys in place. So I do think it is it is for the good. Now it needs to be regulated. It needs to be figured out a little bit more. Um, but, man, if you have an alumni base that is hungry,
2: that wants to be good, you can capitalize now. I'm ashamed by the Michael Platt michael pratt i know but you're getting you're
3: yeah you know on, what boy, I, I think it is Cooper.
4: That. braden braden platt is announcing on our youtube channel i think on monday so you must have had that on the mind i have a quick follow-up but first before i do the follow-up ivan did you say you were tight end at florida atlantic
3: tight end
4: tight end oh you were tight at tight end i thought you said you were <laughs> i don't, tight end I, don't
3: I don't think they need a six Damn, five dude, one you left
2: that off the resume
0: my Six mind was about one, alone. I had no 185, idea 185
4: Where did this come from? Um, okay, so tied in. That makes that makes sense. Um, my follow-up to this question. So for all those who don't know, the team talent composite rankings came out today for the 2023 season. And Chris Hummer put together a little article on it and mentioned that this is the sixth year in a row, and I just want to make sure I'm saying this right, sixth year in a row that Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State have finished in the top three. So with this talk about NIL and, again, giving more opportunity to schools that may have not had that opportunity prior to it, do you think in the years to come we see that top three start to change? Because, again, it's now six years straight where it's been Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. Could we see, with NIL giving more teams more opportunities, that top three – Change maybe not all three, but maybe someone drops out. Maybe someone comes in. A team like Tennessee potentially could make a run inside. A team like Florida could we see that top three change in the next years to come?
3: Well, I think two years ago we would have said Texas A and M's on track, right? After signing the greatest recruiting class ever, seen some fallout there. I think it's possible, but you need to be dialed up or buttoned up. Excuse me. And that operation has to be humming.
2: I have not read this article yet, but I need to. I need to read it because um, I'm. You know, Chris does a phenomenal job, but he's got one part of the article titled "Teams Doing Less with More." or doing more with less. Excuse me. Michigan at number fourteen, Utah at number fifty-one, Kansas State at number sixty-seven. Those teams, to me, I know I'm kind of changing the subject here, Lance. So I apologize, but those teams to me are so fascinating imagine if michigan actually recruited up to their potential there's no reason michigan shouldn't be in that top 5 with ohio state and the other one that's intriguing to me drew utah had 51 and they were number what 20 last year in the recruiting rankings if they can continue that trend th- this is why i said utah like not not going to be a factor Utah is going to be the team to beat in that conference with Texas and Oklahoma out if they can continue this trend of staying in the top 25 and recruiting because their player development track record is excellent. And then the flip side of that team's doing less with more. Miami at number 12, Nebraska at number 21. Can't really say anything against Matt Rule. I hadn't even coached a game there yet, right? But Miami, that's going to be interesting. I don't know, I think Texas is one of those teams, right? Like Texas, Oklahoma, the way they, they keep recruiting. I'll be interested to kind of see what happens with Clemson. Can they can they stay in that top five? That's the team to me that I, I want to know. Can a Tennessee knock them out? right? Are they going to get pushed out by Oklahoma or one of these teams on the rise? That's That's going to be a fascinating one for me.
4: Yeah. Good question there about NIL. And again, obviously something to watch as the team talent composite rankings come out year after year will be interesting to track them over the next few years to see if they change or if that top three is, or stays intact, I should say for a seventh, eighth, ninth straight year. All right. The last question actually comes from me and it's a question I've I've really been thinking about for a while, right? Because at least to me, when I think about quarterback development and the States that, are the best at it. The first state I go to is California. And I think rightfully so. But just looking at the landscape of high school recruiting currently, Aaron Noland, Julian Lewis. I'm not even going to count Dylan Riolo because obviously he transferred into the state of Georgia, Georgia, Jake Merklinger, so on and so forth. The names continue. Luke Cromanhawk. Luke Cromanhawk. Do you think, and I think let me let me look back to see exactly how I worded this question. I worded it has the state of Georgia either matched or eclipsed the likes of a California when it comes to being the top quarterback producing state right now in the country? And obviously they've had Justin Fields, they've had Trevor Lawrence, but over the last couple of years, I feel like Georgia is is pretty much up there with California, at least in my opinion.
2: I think it's a good question. Thanks. And 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 I think if you consider the arms that you're talking about right now, I mean, it's, You know, you can throw Raiola in there. Obviously, he's he's transferred, been in Arizona, been in Texas. But, you know, we're talking about the names that you mentioned before. I would say this year, if you want to have that conversation, I think that's what presents the question. Historically, no. I think California has been the state that unequivocally produces the most amount of top-level quarterback talent. I don't know why that is, Drew. I've had a lot of different people tell me because it's exposure to quarterback trainers at a young age. Like what which is that any different in Georgia or anywhere in the southeast where these guys are working with quarterback trainers at a young age? I don't I don't really have a theory for it other than that, you know, if you look around, it seems to me like California still at the end of the day is the top producer and, and top level quarterback talent.
3: I think I would agree with that. Um, Quarterback training is a multi-million-dollar business now, so they're they're all over the country. I approached this question, and I did this a few years ago, looking at week one starters projected at the FBS level. Looking at week one starters projected in the NFL now in. On Sundays, I mean, there are some big names that are from Georgia, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Uh, But who would you guys say is the top Georgia-produced quarterback in college football right now?
2: Top Georgia-produced quarterback in college football?
3: Yep, quarterback from the state of Georgia.
2: Or you're going to have to help me out.
3: (laughs) Well, I'll follow up with, there's only two of them that are starting at the Power 5 level. Number one, A.J. Swan at Vanderbilt. Number two, Emory Jones at Cincinnati. I found that shocking, right? I went through, looked up the high schools of every projected week one starter. Georgia's got, I think, less than five, which I found extremely surprising.
4: Now so I pretty do. pretty much there was a gap then, right? Because you had Fields and Lawrence in that one class, and now you have this class. But what was Fields and Lawrence? 2018, 2018. So there was a gap, essentially.
3: Right. Now I not taking away anything from this group. Like I I think Georgia is stocked. And I wrote this recently. Um, you went through the names. I think you can throw a guy like Jeremy Halinsky, who we keep talking about in this podcast. He said at the Wake Forest like, there are good Georgia quarterbacks in there. Um, in California, Julian saying as well. But as I did this exercise and kind of looked it up, I mean, you know, some other states kind of kind of raised my eyebrow. North Carolina, home of Drake May, Sam Hartman, Grayson McCall. Arizona has a bunch of guys: Spencer Ratler, um, Florida. Is also Florida gets knocked for being a quarterback state. Michael Penix, Jordan Travis, Michael Pratt, JJ McCarthy. If you want to claim his year at IMG, Joe Milton, Carson Beck. Surprising. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put out a tweet on on the final numbers, but I was and then Texas. I mean Texas. You go through the group of five ranks. Like Texas probably has the most Week One starters out of out of anyone.
2: How long did it take you to do that research? I knew you were going to be well-read on this.
3: Uh, I found an article ranking all of the Power 5 starters, or FBS starters. And most of these guys I already know. Like, I don't need to look up where their high schools are. It it took me about 20 minutes. I mean, would you find that kind of surprising, Cooper?
2: Just the distribution? I would say... It's funny because, uh, you know, Florida doesn't typically get associated with being a quarterback state, but you just named a handful of guys that are legit dudes. North Carolina, the one to me that's kind of the secondary quarterback market out west is Arizona. You know, you mentioned Rattler. Tyler Shuck was another guy. We had Ty Thompson at Oregon as well.
3: Hold on. Let me... Let me let me search uh, Arizona because I they
2: had some other surprises. Nico Marquial, who's at uh, West Virginia now. In
3: this class, uh, they have
4: a uh, they have Demond Williams in this class, and obviously, again, they had Dylan Raiola before he transferred, before he transferred to Georgia.
3: They have Mickey Keene, who's going to start at Fresno State. Jack Plummer, who's going to start at Louisville. EJ Warner, who's starting at Temple. Keaton Slovis, who is at BYU. You look to the NFL, Brock Purdy. And I think there was another one.
2: Yeah, it it would be neat to see the Power Five state distribution, kind of how that stacks up. I know you just talked through it, but it's kind of like an interesting uh, content piece there.
3: And then, and then with with Florida, I mean Anthony Richardson's drafted. You have Lamar Jackson, uh, Mac Jones. Like Florida is not viewed as this quarterback state, and it's like when you look at it, it's like whoa. Okay, they got some guys, and I mean, I left others off the board. Jeff Sims is going to start at Nebraska. Um, who was the other one? Rocco Beck at Iowa State, Garrett Green at West Virginia. It was just surprising to me for a guy that covers this state and has for the past six years to just see that volume.
2: Lance, any more questions?
4: No more questions for me. Although I'm glad we, or I'm glad I asked that last one because it really is interesting to see and to look state by state at where these quarterbacks come from, which states are are rising in terms of quarterback development and quarterback play, and which states, you know, are, are either falling or pretty much staying status quo. So no, but no other questions for me. And,
3: and got to point out California has Cam Rising, Jaden Daniels, Jalen Daniels at Kansas, at Kansas, DJU, Jaden Rashada um
4: so it is a a favorable year for them so california was so to circle it all together california while georgia's class is great this cycle california is is still the state if i was a g5 school
3: i would go to texas to get my quarterback (laughs) if i wasn't in the market for the big dog and then i would shop around in arizona and i guess maybe i would look in in florida
2: why not? You know, who knows? Next, Michael Pratt might be out there. All right, Lance.
4: I think that does it for our Q and A tomorrow. What do we have? Big Ten, right? We're doing Big Ten, and I'm I'm really interested to see who you guys pick. And I'm gonna wait. I'm not gonna ask you. but I'm really interested to see who you guys pick for Rutgers because I have one for Rutgers, and I'm gonna say tomorrow.
2: So well, I'm we'll curious. let you chime in. We'll yeah, find out what you guys. If you too.
4: guys, if what I'm gonna say matches what you guys say, because I you already can have be my, my
2: guess. You can be my guest. My guest pick on Rutgers. Well, I want you. To, I'll, I'll pick, one, to I'll you pick one, but you—you you still, as long as you're responsible with
4: it. Oh, I'm responsible. You can,
2: you can have your guy on
4: that. I'm dialed in. Okay. <laughs> I'm di- As Ivans would say, is I'm it, tied in. I'm not a tight end, but I'm tied in. Is it Bo Masco? No, it is not Bo Masco. I've heard some good things about him. Still so why But Rutgers secondary is is actually not that bad, and they have a lot of pieces returning. But so it is not Bo Masco. But don't don't try to guess because I will uh, we'll find out tomorrow. Big day for Lance. Big day Big for day. Lance.
2: All right guys, we appreciate you listening to the 24/7 sports football recruiting podcast as Lance said. If you got a question make sure to leave a review. Wherever you find your podcast, also make sure to leave a rating as well. For Andrew Ivins, producer Lance Glenn I'm Cooper Dagna. We'll see you tomorrow.